0: All right, well, we've been learning quite a bit about ancient Persian and Greek culture and Jewish, ancient Jewish culture. We've learned a bit about epic poetry in the book of Job and the Iliad. We've seen the Greek theater, its tragedies and its comedies. We've studied a little bit of the moral philosophy and political philosophy of Plato. And we've seen... The Dionysian spirit versus the the Apollo spirit of war and law, right? We've been learning quite a few things about the ancient world. And we've looked at, um, you know, beautiful pieces of art and poetry and even read some psalms. Um, But many Christians, and and maybe you're one of them, many Christians believe we shouldn't be so concerned about all Of these earthy things why do we need to study greek theater tragedies and comedies and epic poetry why do we need and make sure you're taking notes for this because your quiz tomorrow be be on this why do we need to know about pagan sculpture and artistry and architecture why do we need to know anything about plato's political philosophy shouldn't we just have Bible class and maybe uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic so that we can get our job and, and make a little money until Jesus comes back? And why do we need to worry about art and culture and building civilization? That is a common view among many Christians. They are separatistic. That's sort of a word for it. Fundamentalist is another word for that. Pietistic is another word for it. Apocalyptic is another word for it they are missing one of the most important aspects of the Bible, and that is the dominion mandate given to man in Genesis chapter 1, also called the cultural mandate, that we're not just supposed to tell people about Jesus and wait for the rapture. We are supposed to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, which means to bring out its full potential, to make art, to make music, to play sports, to dance, to sing, to write wonderful works of literature, to domesticate flowers and chickens and produce 300 various substances from peanuts. We're supposed to do these things. This is what God has given us this world to do, all according to His law and for His glory. In other words, Christians have always been about making and building civilization. The history of civilization is, by and large, the history of Christianity, and it's it's a battle with the forces of darkness and and evil. So it's ironic and unfortunate that many Christians today believe that the making and the building of civilization or the learning about historic civilization isn't a Christian thing, it's more of a secular thing. and It couldn't be further from the truth. Make sense? All right. Um, Francis Schaeffer, however, and you're reading the book Art and the Bible, which is two of his lectures put into book form with a foreword by Michael Card. Francis Schaeffer is perhaps one of the most important figures in the 20th century in evangelical Christianity for helping the church see that God is concerned about all of life especially art and beauty. Does anyone know our church's motto? All of Christ in all of life. life. This comes from Francis Schaeffer. Now Francis Schaeffer didn't come up with this on his own. He is a popularizer of theologians like John Calvin, Augustine, uh, um, Abraham Kuyper. Doyeved, and many other, um, you know, godly and great theologians of the past. But he popularized it. He had a knack for making, uh, for making pithy statements, and and for writing, and even filming documentaries. And so Francis Schaeffer, he is one of the most important people in the evangelical history to help us get back to all of Christ and all of life. Mindset, rather than a separatistic, you know, completely unconcerned about quote-unquote worldly things. He was also the founder of the pro-life movement. One of the founders of the pro-life movement. Before Francis Schaeffer came, the Southern Baptist Convention was pro-abortion. That's right. Many evangelicals were pro-abortion. The only people that weren't pro-abortion were the Catholics. Isn't that something? They were also pro-Darwinian and pro-evolutionist. But Francis Schaeffer um, was very instrumental in turning that around. He coined the phrase worldview. Worldview. He got it from a, a German concept. But if you've ever heard me say worldview, that is the presuppositions that you have deep down through which you see the whole world, your presuppositions. Remember we discussed the Greek worldview as opposed to the Christian worldview or the Persian worldview and Cyrus's worldview as opposed to the Christian worldview. All that stuff is coined um, by Francis Schaeffer. Um, my daughter, Shira, went into art largely because of Francis Schaeffer's influence on me through my teachers growing up. My teachers growing up um, were influenced by Francis Schaeffer. And I, I've, I even had teachers that were taught by teachers who met Francis Schaeffer. So this influence, uh, Francis Schaeffer is um, one of the biggest influences at Christ Church and at Christ Church Academy. He is one of the main reasons why we do what we do. And he was born in 1912. He was a Presbyterian minister And at that particular time in in the world, there were many controversies raging all about the church. One of the most important controversies of the era era was the controversy of whether or not the scriptures are inerrant and infallible. He, of course, believed them to be inerrant. But he just got burned out by all the church fights. Not everybody loves church fights, believe it or not. And so he became a missionary... To Europe, and in 1955 moved to Switzerland and bought a a chateau in the foothills of the Alps. And if you've ever been there, they are incredibly beautiful. And he had long hair and he wore um, Swiss clothing. The name uh, is escaping me right now, but it's like. Uh, Hosen, Victor Hosen. He dressed like the people in the Sound of the Mu- uh, Sound of Music, the uh, the uh, the uh, Von Trapp family. Very interesting fellow. And he called his home this chateau in the Alps. He called it Le Bri. Le L hyphen or L apostrophe A B R I agree. And it means the shelter. So he moves there in 1955. He's living there in the 60s. Now we've discussed the Dionysian spirit of the Bacchae. And so we've discussed the hippie movement, right? Anti-corporatism, anti-establishment, peace and love and and. Many people searching and looking for a new way to make sense of life, and, and and how can we answer some of the biggest questions of life? And so, there in the Swiss Alps at Le Brie, um, hikers and European travelers and tourists and hippies wandering the world in search for truth would very often stop by his shelter and stay there for a few days. It was like a commune or a or a, uh, a hostel, where people could stay there and be influenced by him and his wife, and, and they had, were given food and, and shelter. And, and it eventually evolved into quite a, uh, a massive undertaking that people would come in and out of. Thousands of Christians who were fed up with the shallowness of American evangelicalism and fundamentalism would travel there to discuss what the Bible has to say about art and science and life and, and the answers for the big and basic questions of life. And not everybody it was real thrilled with the felt art of VBS right? and the, uh, the pop music of, uh, of the Christian evangelical world. They wanted to know if Christianity could build civilization if christianity had a vision for art and beauty and, and truth and his lectures at labrie eventually became books and one of the most famous is how shall we then live and it's also a documentary that we watched and that we read last year eventually toward the end Annie wrote art in the bible which is two of his lectures edited into prose and eventually at the end of his life he went back to minnesota and uh for cancer treatments he founded another labri there in minnesota and today there are about i you know the last time i counted there was about a dozen of them all around the world where seekers and skeptics and and philosophers and young people who want to know, who want to study deeply the things of god can go and and uh, and learn these things i think it's a great concept you know i think that would uh that'd be something fun to lead i i even had a um A young man called me on the phone not too long ago, and his desire was to establish a a labris type institution uh, near the UL campus where um, the students at UL could have a a scholarly, philosophic voice from the Christian perspective as opposed to their secularist, um, atheistic perspectives that they typically get there. All right. So now let's get to our book, Art in the Bible. The art in the Bible mostly challenges the notion that the Bible doesn't speak about art. But the Bible has a lot to say about art. The Bible commands us to do art, in fact. It speaks extensively on art. The Bible is not just concerned with ethereal, quote-unquote spiritual aspects of life. The Bible is concerned with all of life, including art. Can you think of any portions of Scripture that are particularly relevant to the discussion of art? Any portion of Scripture? Jackson? Oh, sure, the creation. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Isn't it interesting that when God created the world, He, he did so as an artist would create, why the, all the various colors of the rainbow? Why is our world not in black and white? Wouldn't that be interesting? If the world was in black and white and all of us were just various shades of gray. You know, would we even know? We wouldn't even know. That would just be the way it is. But instead, he created the world with a beautiful color a spectrum. Or think about the geographical diversity of our world. The whole world could just be a plateau Flat. we would never think anything of it. But instead, He created mountains and valleys and plains and buttes and, and deep gorges. I mean, God is creative. He's creative. What about the plumage on birds or the sheen of fur? What about all the, the various eye colors? Or the, the fact that when you taste something, you can get sweet or salty or bitter or sour? Everything could just taste like plain oatmeal with no sugar. But God created the world beautiful because He is beautiful. He is the artist. When He created, He was an artist creating a masterpiece. And of course, man is His ultimate masterpiece created in His own image. Yeah? Any other places in Scripture that directly relate to art? Jackson. The poles of the tabernacle were were or um, in the temple in particular, the poles of the temple had um, pomegranates on them and and uh, the the leaves of, of vines and all sorts of uh, abstract art and uh, natural art. Very good. What else? Any other aspects of art? Don't let Jackson be the only one on the recording. The People are going to think the rest of you aren't you know you don't know your Bibles. Luke. Uh, the Ark of the yeah, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with gold and beautiful cherubs atop the, the ark. Yeah, all built to God's specifications. He was the artist. What else? I Marie? Um, this is art, but when I was water wine. It wasn't Ooh, turning water into wine is certainly artistry. Absolutely. It is the art of uh, of making wine. You know. To own a, a vineyard and to own a winery would be, would be incredible. You'd be engaged in, in the beautiful art of wine production. It's sort of an art and a science as well. What else? Amelia. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. That's exactly right. He works with his hands, and he had the skill and the wisdom to know how to turn blocks of wood into beautiful creations for chairs or dining room tables. If he worked with wood. He might have worked with stone. We're not exactly sure. Jackson. Yeah, David, David points out that God was into knitting. That's right. He knit humans together in his mother, mother's womb. What about the tapestries of the tabernacle with the, with the cherubim? The tapestries um, the, of the tabernacle were blue and purple and gold. And some of them had little cherubs decorating all over the, over the, the various tapestries. Yeah, The Bible is filled with art. I mean, the Bible is art in some sense. What are the psalms? They're songs. And what about the musical instrumentation that has begun to be created in the earliest parts of Genesis and King David, a man after God's own heart, uh, made and played instruments beautifully. He played instruments so well that he could cast demons out with it. When, when Saul was looking for someone who played an instrument, he found a kid, a shepherd boy, I mean, you search the whole country for someone to play for a king, and you find a shepherd boy. That, David had to have been good. David was the, uh, I don't know, the Handel of his age. Or the Beethoven of his age. Or, or the Tate, Te, you know, whatever you think is good, right? No, the Bible has a ton to say about beauty. God cares about beauty. God is beautiful. And, he, and it's not just religious stuff. And this is where I really want you to hear... Because this is really, it should be a pet peeve of everyone. But this is where Christians are going wrong. They're going wrong. Their worldview is, is um, confused. And you're going to read about it. Let me, let me say it in the way that Francis Schaeffer would say it. He's, Francis Schaeffer would say that Christians, many Christians, have a two-story brain. Okay? Anybody here ever live in a, in a two-story house or live in a two-story house? You know, the stairs, you get to slide down when you're a kid. They're wonderful. You love two-story houses. Well, he said a lot of Christians have a two-story brain. You have an upper story and you have a lower story. Right? Or the first and second floor. And in the upper story, in the second floor, is where you have all the, quote, religious, spiritual, emotional things. And meaningful things and purposeful things and things that matter. They're on the second floor. Second floor. Art is on the second floor. Being a minister is on the second floor. Serving Jesus is on the second floor. Um, Praying, second floor. Philosophy, second floor. You get it. But on the lower floor is math and plumbing and carpentry and reason and dirt work and architecture. That's on the lower floor. And he says these Christians with this two-story brain, they they compartmentalize their life. They compartmentalize their everything they do. Right? Think about it this way. When when I was younger, I wanted to serve Jesus. But because I had a two-story brain, the only way I could think of serving Jesus was in being a missionary, a Christian school teacher, or a pastor. Those are the only jobs that were upper story, you know, second story jobs that really counted, that really had purpose and meaning and that directly were attached to God. And so I wanted to do something meaningful and purposeful with my life. And so with this two-story brain of mine, I uh, began to be a Christian school teacher. Okay? Now you see, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem is Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years, right? Was Jesus not as holy as the Christian school teachers and the missionaries? I mean, it's silly. He's saying that because Christians have a two-story brain, um, art, going to the second story, just isn't really thought about or done by most Christians. They're not concerned with it. There's a lot of implications for all of this. Uh, Think of it this way. If art is in the second story, does art have anything to do with math? No, I'm not saying does it have something to do with math. You all have learned in your art class that it has a lot to do with math. You all have learned how to measure, right? You've learned shapes, and you've seen how good your artwork has come out because art is not in the second story and math in the first story and work in the first story and art in the second story. No, but if you think of art just in the second story... Is everyone paying attention to me? You are listening? Some of you are doing art while listening to me. Okay. But listen, Art. if art is just in the second story, it's going to be about expression. It's not going to be rational. It's not going to be mathematic. It's not going to even be work. It's going to be self-expression. It's going to be you know philosophical. And is there going to be any objective, actual standard of beauty? No, 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 it's art. It's uh, whatever you think is pretty. That's why most people don't realize that when you grade art, there actually is an objective way to grade art. There are standards, and you can grade it with those objective standards. But most people think, "Ah, no, it's just vibe, man. It's all just what you think. That's what they think. That's what they think about literature. That's what they think about art. That's what they think about music. But there really is not two stories in, in this life. There's really one and the Bible speaks to all of them. Our pastors um, serving Jesus, yes. Our plumbers serving Jesus, yes. The toilet is the most Christian invention this world has seen. Right? I mean, just think of all the good that the toilet has done for people. How much the toilet? What is the the most important healthcare innovation in the history of the world? You know how sick you would be if your feces stayed in your room with you, All right? Amelia, are you listening? Are y'all listening? I can. I, I want y'all to pay attention. All right, so moving on. That's what he's saying. There's a. You have a two-story world, and he's trying to help people shrink it down. Now, if... Where was I? If we wanted to make a Christian movie, look up at me. Everyone look up at me. Stop looking down at your paper. You're making me insecure. Look up at me. If we wanted to make a Christian movie... What would the topics be? What could we make a Christian movie about? The toilet. Uh-huh? The toilet. Oh, the toilet. That's a good one. I like it. That would be a good one. Yeah, the history of Sir Crapper and his wonderful invention. He's done a lot more for humanity than some other doctors around. What, what else? What would a typical Christian movie be about? The rapture. The rapture? Okay. You know, adopting... Uh, Poor little kids and helping them become football heroes. Um, what else? Saving uh, saving babies, right from abortion. That's all. Those are all good, right? Or demon possession, right? That might be a, That was the most recent Christian movie called Nefarious. But when was the last time you saw a Christian movie? Anybody? What always happens at the end? At the end of the movie, they do a little sermon. They do a little message. Do a little pitch for fundraising. You'll be watching a movie, and then someone will come out, and they'll be like, "Hey, John, three sixteen says this," and you're like, "Whoa!" Where the the movie goes from being an interesting story, and now someone's giving this strange sermon out of nowhere. All right, it's all it's fisted and, and awkward. It's because they don't see that they don't have to make a movie in the second story. They can make a movie the same way God makes a flower. It can just be beautiful. It doesn't have to be a moral lesson all the time. And that's what Francis Schaeffer is trying to help. He's trying to deconstruct this two-story brain that puts art in one category and work and other aspects of life in another. Another uh, downfall of this two-story thing that he mentions briefly is um, the things that men like to do are usually in the first story. You understand what I'm saying? War is in the first story. Fighting with toy guns is in the first story. Wrestling, first story. Right? Um, Joking around with each other and ribbing each other is first story. Uh, Singing loud, aggressive songs is in the first story. Self-expression and emotion and meaning and all of that is in the second story. So because of this two-compartment brain that a lot of Christians had, it really did have an impact on churches to make them effeminate. You know, churches are all about beautiful flower arrangements and potpourri and and uh, very feminine things. And the and the music was all very emotional and therapeutic. And so dudes just stopped going to church. And that's been a problem for a long time. It's because of this uh, compartmentalization of the Christian mind. Makes sense? And so I hope that when you read this book, I hope that you're encouraged to maybe become an artist. You don't have to be a full-time artist. You can just... See your life as artistry. And there can be certain aspects of your life that are artistic. And whatever you do, it, there is an art to it. It really is. Whether you're a lawyer or a, uh, a salesman, there is an artistry to it. And, and there can be meaning and purpose to it just as much as anything else. Because it's not in some you know lower story. Alright, let's get to the history of the book. The history of the book. Real quick. One term you need to know is the modernist controversies. The modernist controversies. And the modernist controversies raged in the 20th century, in the 1900s. And it was between, basically, those who believed the Bible is true and those who did not. You called the people that didn't believe in the Bible being true liberals. Part of the modernist controversies revolved around evolution. And and what ended up happening was that um, most of the world became evolutionary. The public schools were captured. The public universities were captured. And so a large percentage of Christians, believing they had lost the battle for American civilization and lost the culture wars, lost the schools, lost the universities... They decided to separate from the world and just get back to the basics, get back to the fundamentals, and they were called the fundamentalists. So you have this controversy of you know raging about you know, science and the Bible and the truth of the Bible and evolutionary Darwinism. There was even a trial called the Scopes Monkey Trial, where a a, a, a um, teacher was being sued and prosecuted for teaching. Darwinianism. And in fact, the Christians and the creationists won that particular um, trial. But the uh, blowback and the public uh, display of the trial eventually gave uh, public opinion in the side of the evolutionists. And and the evolutionists began to capture public opinion and the public square. And so a lot of Christians just got back to the Mm -hmm. fundamentals, waved the white flag, and separated and, and at that particular time, Christians really started separating away from movies, not making movies, not making music. Instead of making music, now we just make music on our own little station. Since we've lost the radio, you understand what I'm saying? We've lost the radio. At least let us have one station, the Christian station. Well, Christians used to have all the stations. Right? So that's the separatists. And... Um, also, while he's writing this book, you have the hippie movement, which we spoke of already. Right? And um, this separatism and this waving the white flag on culture began to have a terrible impact on the church so that instead of building beautiful chapels, they began to build metal sheds. Right? And uh, instead of, of stained glass and beautiful architecture, it was felt art and pop art. Go into a church these days and see the art on the walls. It's not what we would think of as beautiful art. No more Christian artists like Rembrandt. Right? It, it's now VeggieTales. And, and, uh, and, and Schaeffer was trying to turn the ship around because there was a lot of young people that weren't satisfied with Veggie Tales, and they didn't really like like the music on k Love. They wanted something great. They wanted something grand. Bob the Tomato wasn't cutting it. Right, he wasn't existent back then. But this, you get the point. You know, they they did. They were tired of Petra. They needed something, you know, something that was great, and and they wanted to know what the Bible had to say about that. Alright, so that's, uh, that's uh, Art in the Bible. Uh, be sure to finish it up this week. And that's it for today.